Hello, everyone. It's me, Joe, and this is Strange Sound. Welcome to it. Glad to have you with me once again this week. Such a pleasure to join you, as always. Always glad to have someone listening to me bloviate. Wonderful, isn't it? I listen to myself sometimes. Just for the, I don't know, morale boost? I don't know, step away from megalomania, perhaps? I don't know. There's something wrong with me. In any case, glad to have you with me. Um, I'm going to start, as I usually do, with my standard disclaimer. The views expressed on Strange Sound are my own. They represent neither the views of any of my friends or family members, nor the views of my neighbors, uh, my coworkers, my employers, anyone associated with me um, through social media, uh, people who follow me on Twitter or respond to my tweets or people who interact with me on Facebook. None of them agree with me. None of their views are represented here. Uh, the views presented here represent none of those people is how I should put it. I kind of turned it inside out there. <laughs> it isn't like this show is a conduit for anyone else's views. It's really just all about me, my friends. It's really just all about what I think. And, you know, I share it with you freely. Happy to do so. If you listen to it, thank you. Thank you for listening. And uh, be glad to hear from you uh, as far as like pushback or agreement or slight adjustments or whatever. Uh, anytime you like, you just reach out to me. I'll tell you how at the end of the show. But in any case, as has been my habit over the last few months, I am going to read my latest blog post uh, what I call my Furious Rants blog, um, which is available. You can read it at big-green.net. Just click on the blog tab, and you will find a link to the um, the blog, <laughs> as it were. Uh, just go to the blog. You will see. It's actually at big-green.net slash bg. And you will find the homepage of the blog. You will find the sort of list of posts. And this post is a political rant or furious rant. Uh, it should be the second one that you see. And if you click on the category political rants, it will be the first in line. And this post is called, and I'm going to bring it up on my tablet here. One moment, please. One moment. One moment, please. Bringing it up. Here we go. Oh, dear. Here we go. Hello. And, oh, okay. Hold on here. I'm just going to follow my own advice. Looking under political rants. Ah, here we go. This post, um, dated July 23rd, which is um, Friday of this past week, um, I am recording this just to put a stake in the ground. I am recording this on July 24th, a Saturday. I will likely be posting this on Monday. Um, so you'll probably hear it then if you hear it at all. If you don't hear it at all, I don't know how you could possibly know what I am telling you right now. In any case, the title of this post is Pirates or Landlords of the Caribbean. And it goes a little something like this. Did I mention that the Biden administration's foreign policy is abysmal? I thought so. 
It's always worth repeating, and the last couple of weeks have borne it out entirely. On July 12th, Secretary of State Anthony Blinken made a statement to the press regarding recent demonstrations in Cuba. Among some other boilerplate nonsense about our supposed commitment to human rights, Blinken told the press that the protesters, quote, criticized Cuba's authoritarian regime for failing to meet the people's most basic needs, including food and medicine, unquote, chiding Cuba's leaders that, quote, peaceful protesters are not criminals, unquote. Okay, a couple of things. First, Cuba has been under sanction by the United States my entire life, 60 years, with the most punishing restrictions having been added during the the Trump years. I'm not sure how well most Americans understand what these sanctions mean for a poor country like Cuba. They can't do business with us, the regional hegemon, and other countries are threatened with retaliation if they trade with Cuba. What this means, of course, is that food, medicine, and other goods are scarce. Now, I'm not claiming that the Cuban government is a model of efficiency, but I would say that any government that can maintain a standard of living exceeding that of its regional neighbors while under siege is doing something right. I hate to keep bringing up morning Joe, but when the protest began in Havana the very next morning, Joe Scarborough was sniping at the Cuban socialist, quote, workers paradise, unquote. How's that going, snarked the, the former Florida Congress member. Meanwhile, in Colombia, massive protests against this capitalist banker's paradise propped up by billions in USAID were in their 70th and now 85th day. That story didn't make it onto the Morning Joe couch. I know hypocrisy is kind of an impotent charge in this day and age, but honestly, the record of capitalist failure in Latin America is broad and deep. There is no lack of examples, no paucity of dumpster fires. I believe the Morning Joe crew commented on the, quote, chaos in Haiti the same day they catcalled Cuba. But of course, when capitalist experiments fail abysmally, it's always the fault of the populace. What angers me most about this policy is that it doesn't even reach the low standard of the Obama administration. Biden is literally leaving Trump's extremist Cuba sanctions in place. He was in the government that decided at the 11th hour to lessen tensions with Havana, and yet now he's content with observing the new old status quo. Let's face it, we have no standing to criticize Cuba on human rights, none at all. We support plenty of governments that abuse human rights on a far more horrific scale, including Colombia, Saudi Arabia, Egypt, The list goes on and freaking on. Did I expect better from them? No, of course not. But that's no reason not to be pissed off. Love you, Joe. Yes, that's my blog post for the week. Pirates or Landlords of the Caribbean. And that's at big-green.net. So, um... This story is is a couple of weeks old. I realize I, I thought about getting it getting to it last week, and then I got sidetracked a little bit. But this this week, um, I, I just I couldn't let this go by without comment. The idea that they're going to put additional sanctions, um, even if they're narrowly focused on Cuba over the protests and the way the protesters were treated in Cuba, is just unbelievable. It is so infuriating to me. Uh, 
particularly when you consider <laughs> the massive protests that have been happening in countries that we actively support and fund with taxpayer dollars year in and year out, no sanctions for them. And they're no more democratic than Cuba is, effectively. Give me an example of a state in Latin America that we support that treats protesters any better than Cuba. I can give you plenty of examples, plenty of examples of, of states that treat their, their um, populace and their protesters worse than Cuba. At least there's some benefit to leave, living in Cuba. And frankly, I brought this up on the blog before, or in the podcast before, and I know I brought it up on the blog before. Um, people always view this as sort of a comparison between the American system and the Cuban system. And let's be clear. The choice in Cuba is not between what Cuba has right now and what America has right now. The American system, the American way of life, is not an option for a country like Cuba. Their option is either what they have or what Honduras has or what Guatemala has. That's where they would be if they didn't have what they have. And I think Cubans probably make a rational choice at every level of their society, including the leadership, I'm sure. They probably make the rational choice that they would rather live in Cuba than live in Honduras right now or in Guatemala right now because it's a much harder life in those places. Those places that have been recipients of American aid for decades and American intervention for decades. So with all this finger wagging, let us not forget that the protests in Cuba were about scarcity of goods and austerity in a country that's been under sanction for 60 years, punishing sanctions that, that punish other countries, that threaten other countries for trading with them. This is a country that's been actively under attack by the United States for 60 years. And it's a strategy that's, you know, we're supposed to believe that this is a strategy aimed at regime change. I'm sure they'd be overjoyed if they got regime change out of this. Basically what they're doing is they're, they're punishing the people of Cuba in hopes that the people of Cuba will rise up and overthrow their government. This is a crime against humanity. It's what it is. It's a 60-year crime against humanity, and they keep perpetuating it. And it's fucking ridiculous. It's outrageous that the Biden administration, it's not a surprise, but it's outrageous that the Biden administration would, would continue the attack that, that the Trump administration started not started, but extended during their time, spitefully, mostly for political reasons, because they want to win Florida. And this is really what that's all about, right? They don't really think that these sanctions after 60 years are going to work to turn Cuba into the Honduras they want it to be. No, they don't think that. I think they're smarter than that. I think what they're trying to do is curry favor with the Cuban exile community in in. Miami, and in Florida more generally, and in other parts of the country. New Jersey is one. Seriously, this is about votes. This is about political support. You know, Biden has his eye on Florida, just like every other fucking Democrat from the beginning of time. From, well, the beginning of time for me, anyway. <laughs> from the beginning of my life. <laughs> they all want to win Florida. 
You know, okay, great. Win Florida. That's great. You know, Obama did it twice. And that's probably why it took him, you know, seven years to get to lessening tensions with Cuba. <sighs> A profile and courage next to what we're looking at now. I mean, honestly, the Biden foreign policy team is terrible. Anthony Blinken, does, does he even have the capacity? <laughs> is he even capable of seeing the world in a way that does not presuppose American hegemony? American imperial right to do whatever the fuck we want to do, to push our weight around? Can he even possibly see it any other way? It's just impossible for him. They just can't do it because they're just too well-trained. They've been part of this establishment for a long time. And, you know, one of the things I wanted to do today is just, because I know people feel fairly strongly about this, and, you know, there are sort of um, generic human rights arguments to make. I'm not saying that Cuba is above criticism. It's a garrison state. It doesn't brook a lot of dissent because it's constantly under attack from an external hegemon, a superpower that's 90 miles to their north, as far away from them as Albany is from me, and Albany is a short drive from here. They've been invaded and attacked by the United States for 60 years. They've been economically strangled by the United States for 60 years, and they've gotten through it. But that turns you into a garrison state. And this is, this is just one of the central processes of American imperialism. You sanction the living hell out of your enemies. You isolate them. You turn them into economic failures. You exacerbate the problems in their societies by cutting off trade, by making it impossible for them to, to operate in the world like other nations do. Right? And then you point a finger at them and say, See? It's a failure. See, socialism doesn't work. How's your workers' paradise working out for you, huh? <laughs> Fucking Scarborough. What an asshole. Anyway, I got that out of my system. Sorry. Sorry, Joe. You're an asshole. Sorry, Mika. You're married to an asshole. <laughs> At least your dad was smart. He was wrong a lot, but he was smart. Smart enough to know that Joe wasn't smart. Okay. That's all I'll say about that. In any case, um, I wanted to sort of draw attention to, as I said in my blog post, you know, calling out hypocrisy is kind of an impotent charge in this day and age. It just is. There are There is no consistency. Consistency is dead. Fairness is dead. There is no fairness doctrine in foreign policy. There are only interests and nations pursuing their interests. And we only recognize our own interests. We don't give a shit about other people's interests. We're never going to see the world from the perspective of other nations. Um, never is a long time. I kind of hope that we do one day. But as of right now, we only see the world in the context of our own interests, through the lens of our own interests. So, I mean, look, as I said in my post, there are plenty of examples 
in this very hemisphere of nations that have worse human rights records than Cuba, and they are not under sanction. Far from it, they receive enormous amounts of aid. Enormous amounts of aid from us. One of them is Colombia. I mean, Colombia is kind of a gross example, right? No question about it. It has the worst human rights record in the hemisphere, has had for a long time. Just this year, Amnesty International put out a report. And I'm going to just read a couple of, couple of lines from it. This report is called Columbia 2020. <laughs> right? That makes sense. I'm going to read the section titled Unlawful Killings. By 15 December, the OHCHR had verified 66 massacres defined as incidents in which three or more people are killed at the same time and place by the same alleged perpetrator. The civil society organization Indipaz, forgive me for my pronunciation, Indipaz reported 51 massacres of people protected by international humanitarian law between January and September. On 16 July, Gayando community reported that a nine-year-old girl died after being shot during an armed confrontation between the ELN, which is a rebel group, and the AGC, which is a uh, paramilitary organization. And I will get the name of that up here. The AGC is the Getanista Self-Defense Forces of Colombia, AGC, um, a paramilitary group, right-wing paramilitary group. Um, the UN Verification Mission reported that 41 former FARC-EP members in the process of reintegrating under the terms of the peace agreement were killed in the first six months of the year. Let me repeat that. 41 members of the former rebel groups in the process of reintegration under the terms of the peace agreement that was signed under the previous, the previous administration in Colombia before Duque were killed in the first six months of the year. This is not unprecedented. I remember back in the 90s, there was like a ceasefire between the government at that time in Colombia and and the FARC, I believe, and probably the ELN. And the same thing happened. As soon as people put down their arms and started reintegrating into society and began competing on a political plane, that's when they started being assassinated. And they started picking them off one by one. This is how they deal with political opposition in Colombia. Excessive use of force and extrajudicial executions in the subregions of Bajo, Cauca, and the south of Bolivar Department. State forces used excessive force when enforcing isolation measures to curb COVID-19. On 9 September, a lawyer died as a result of torture and excessive use of lethal force by the National, National Police in Bogota. The Minister of Defense on S September 10th, who is in charge of the National Police, reported that 403 people were injured, among them 194 members of the security forces, and 10 people were killed, 7 in Bogota and 3 in Sokta, in the context of protests on 9 and 10 September in response to the killing of Javier Ordenes. An internal investigation into the Ordena's death was ongoing. This is from last year. Now, I don't know if anyone's aware of it, but this year, we are in about the 90th day of an uprising in Colombia. 
And there have been killings. There have been abuses. It's ongoing. What has the State Department had to say about this? Does anyone know? Did they hold a press conference about that? Because remember, we are on friendly terms with Bogota. We are on friendly terms with the Colombian state. We have been providing them with immense aid, particularly since the implementation of Plan Colombia back in 2000, which bumped up our aid to Colombia. Nominally, um, in the context of the drug war, the anti-narcotic war, but really this has been This aid has been used, this military aid, helicopters, guns, you name it, has been used against rebellions and for internal repression. There's a pretty good story, a series of stories in The Intercept by Jeremy Scahill. Um, One chapter of it is Plan Columbia. I'll try to include a link um, to this in the show notes so you can see it. This is part of his series on Biden's political positions through the years. Um, his uh, series on uh, Biden empire politician, essentially. And it just it talks about, it's mainly in the context of Biden's support for Plan Columbia. Joe Biden played a central role in crafting legislation that would shepherd in increased funding for law enforcement, ultra-harsh penalties, and long prison sentences inside the U.S. for drug offenses. He simultaneously worked on broadening the scope of this war to other countries in the Western Hemisphere. I'm the guy that suggested in the first, suggested in the first national drug strategy that we get the military involved, Biden boasted on national television in 1996. This is quoting directly from Scahill's article. Despite a long and well-documented history of human rights abuses and extrajudicial killings committed by Colombia's military and national police, Biden lobbied for the passage of a bill that would provide billions of dollars in aid to Colombia. Quote, increase U.S. assistance to Colombian military units, which will assist the Colombian National Police in counter-narcotics operations, is warranted, Biden asserted in a report for the Senate in 2000. He urged Congress to pass the funding bill to facilitate the transfer of Black Hawk helicopters and other assistance for Colombia's military, part of a drug war strategy that would later be codified as Plan Columbia. Plan Columbia ran for a number of years through the uh, George W. Bush administration. Uh, some of their oversight controls sort of loosened during that time um, so that they could use it more for internal repression, political repression, um, fighting the FARC, fighting the ELN, and fighting basically trade union leaders. Um, there was a lot of cooperation between the paramilitary groups, which are really just members of, a lot of them are members of the Colombian military who take off the uniform at night and they go out and they, you know, wear some different clothes and go cut people's throats or shoot people. A lot of this money goes to support those folks. And, you know, the Colombian government, U.S.-supported and U.S.-oriented Colombian government, supporting the rule of oligarchy in Colombia has been complicit in these paramilitary groups in supporting these paramilitary groups in, you know, keeping labor organizers in line, you know, killing them and basically, you know, locking the country down. Any sanctions for them? Any lessening of aid? Any complaints from Anthony Blinken on this? I don't think so. 
let me just read a little bit more from the Scahill article. I'm sorry. Let me just back up a little bit because this is this is important. In addition to the direct aid to Colombia, the CIA operated a substantial black budget for its own operations in Colombia, while battalions of the Colombian army uh, were trained to protect oil pipelines belonging to U.S. companies, as one journalist put it. When President George W. Bush came to office in 2001, his administration said it wanted to allow Colombia to redirect U.S. war on drugs military assistance, including attack helicopters, to crush insurgents. Biden embraced this war on terror framing and said he was inclined to support it. By 2002, Bush was giving Colombia the green light to use dozens of U.S. helicopters and other equipment in counterinsurgency operations, as well as, quote, a 3,000-man counter-drug brigade trained by American special forces directly against the rebels, unquote. As one journalist focused on Latin America put it, quote, Planned Colombia was in effect to global South pacification what the 1994 crime bill had been to domestic policing, unquote. He added, Plan Colombia functioned like an ideological laboratory for forever war in the 21st century, with Cold War counterinsurgency giving way to counter-narcotics, giving way to counter-terror, waged against an ostensibly narco-terrorist Marxist insurgency that rendered such distinctions irrelevant. This is where we've been with this. And uh, we haven't really let up as far as our support for Colombia is concerned. This government has a terrible history, and we've been on the side of repression in Colombia. That's what we've done. I wish I could say that this relationship is unique, but it's not. And for us to stand here and criticize Cuba over its treatment of protesters who are out in the streets for a few days is ridiculous. It's outrageous. There is something we can do something about. Cuba doesn't rely on aid from the United States. Colombia does. A lot of countries do. We have direct input with a lot of countries that abuse their citizens. If we're worried about human rights, there are practical things that we can do as a nation to stop human rights abuses. Let's start with the countries that we support. Let's start with the Saudi Arabias and the Egypts. Let's start with the Colombias and the Perus. Let's start with Brazil. Let's start with Honduras, Guatemala. We can shake our fist all we want at China. They don't have to listen to us. They aren't relying on us. And there's plenty to criticize. What they're doing in Hong Kong? Absolutely. What they're doing in, uh, to, the, to the Uyghurs? Absolutely. But it's a little ridiculous for us to be criticizing them when you look at the countries that we have influence over, whose policy we've been bankrolling, whose armies we've been training for decades, long history of repressive rule. To say nothing of the of not only the repressive governments that we've we've supported, the anti anti insurgency policies, but also the insurgent movements that we've we've supported. I mean this look I don't expect any better out of Biden. I gave you a little sample of what Scahill's writing has been on, on uh, has cataloged. Let's say I'm not going to say revealed because this this is not this isn't about as open a secret as there can possibly be. Anyone who has followed Joe Biden's career over the years knows exactly where he's been at on every foreign policy issue, 
uh, all the way down the line. So uh, this is not a surprise. It's not a mystery. You know, this is not like a big disappointment. This is just something to bear in mind. And we need to apply pressure on the administration to start turning the ship around because this is outrageous. Their foreign policy is outrageous. About the only thing I can agree with right now is pulling out of Afghanistan. That's practically it. They still haven't done anything on Iran, on the Iran deal. Not really. I mean, I know they're negotiating, but I'll believe it when I see it. And this business with Cuba, putting them under additional sanctions is just outrageous. We have to uh, oppose that with considerable vigor, let's say, since we're back at the Kennedy administration. Anyway, that's all I got. I'd like to hear what you have to say. You can leave a one-minute voice message when you go to anchor.fm slash strangesound. You'll find the means of doing so right there. You can also uh, tweet at me or personal message me at strangesoundpod on Twitter. You can find links um, on our Anchor site to our Facebook page. You can communicate with me there. You can also go to big-green.net and click on the contact link, and you'll find other ways to get in contact with me. I'd be happy to turn this into a conversation, as I've said many times before. If you want to reach out to me, want to push back, um, agree with me, leave me voice messages, arrange for a, a Zoom call or a phone call, or send me, you know, I don't know, text messages or whatever, you just go right ahead. Be glad to hear from you. Be glad to include other voices besides my own. Mine is getting very tired. Anyway, thanks for joining me this week. We'll see you again very soon. Take good care out there. Get your shots. Don't listen to the crazies. You need the shot, man. Go get it. (laughs) Take care.